submarines that Taiwan's building uh, are stealthy, and uh, in fact, they're the ultimate asymmetric weapon. Hello, and welcome to Perspectives with Nilo, a regular podcast that brings you news and views from around the world. You can find all of our past episodes on our blog site at pwnilo.com or by searching for Perspectives with Nilo on your favorite podcast app. In the early 1990s, Dutch business interests sought permission to build submarines at the Cork Dockyard in Rushbrook, County Cork. The site, which was previously the location of the Dutch-owned Verolm Cork Dockyard, closed in 1984 and had employed over 1,100 staff at its peak. The submarine initiative had the potential to allow for a major expansion of the shipbuilding industry in Ireland. However, state files released in December of 2022 show that the then Foreign Minister, David Andrews, feared that the export of military components from Ireland to Taiwan may invite the wrath of Beijing and he blocked the project to avoid any potential retaliation from the Chinese Communist Party. Ireland wasn't the only country to fear economic and diplomatic threats from Beijing when it came to sales of submarines to Taiwan. And after many years of attempting to purchase submarines abroad, Taiwan decided to manufacture its own and launched a domestic submarine program in 2014. On September 28 of 2023, Taiwan unveiled its first indigenously manufactured defense submarine called the Narwhal or Haikun, meaning sea monster in Mandarin Chinese. I recently met up with Germont Lailery, who is a retired US Air Force foreign area officer specializing in counterterrorism, irregular warfare and missile defense and is currently a visiting scholar at Taiwan's National Chongqi University. He shared his insights on what is known about the technology of Taiwan's sea monster, how a submarine fleet improves Taiwan's defense capability, as well as China's reaction to the launch, and much more. Taiwan recently unveiled its new domestically manufactured submarine. It's called the Narwhal or the Haikun. Can you tell us about the background leading up to this? In other words, um, what was Taiwan's capability in the area of submarines up to now? And also, what was involved for Taiwan to overcome the design challenges to get to the point where they can actually manufacture their own submarines? So, uh, first of all, the uh, U.S. government uh, gifted two submarines from basically just after World War II. Um, and then in the um, early 80s, uh, the Taiwanese government was able to get uh, two Dutch submarines. Um, and then since then, uh, they've been trying to increase their submarine capability. Um, in the early 2000s, um, under the U.S. Uh, Bush administration, President Bush had agreed to allow Taiwan to get submarines from the U.S., but the problem is that there was no diesel submarines in the U.S., so the U.S. tried to put together, um, approached uh, various European countries. Unfortunately, uh, they were not uh, either, they weren't interested in selling to Taiwan or Taiwan wasn't interested in buying. Uh, For example, in the case of the Italians, the Italians offered used submarines, but the Taiwanese wanted new submarines. So basically, it, uh, it uh, didn't last, uh, <laughs> it didn't get very far uh, until um, the uh, Tsai administration 
uh, President Tsai, one of her first things that she mentioned in the, in the under the defense arena, she declared she wanted to pursue a um, indigenous program around 2016. Um, so luckily for her, uh, President Trump agreed with her in 2017 and opened the door for U.S. technology, um, which then opened the door for a lot of other countries to tag in underneath the wing of the U.S., um, which eventually led to the development of the submarine, which was announced at the end of September. Tell us a little bit about the technology in it. You, you mentioned the U.S. have provided some technology. Other countries have provided a technology. H- how advanced is it? You know, what kind of motor? How big is it? Can you tell us a little bit about some of those statistics? Yes. So <clears throat> the, the submarine is, again, reportedly a combination of seven countries, at least seven countries, that helped Taiwan build, build a submarine. There are 107 different... Uh, let's say, capabilities that Taiwan had to find outside of its own abilities. It found about 84. uh, So it solved 84 of its own um, challenges in Taiwan, but there was 107 that needed to be uh, procured outside of Taiwan. They didn't have the capacity or the the time to do it. So the, the main, I guess, the brains of the system is the Lockheed Martin Aegis, um, combat system inside the submarine, which is basically uh, how everything operates in the submarine. So it's the integrator. So Lockheed Martin was the integrator for all the weapon systems and the functioning of the submarine. And so um, each country provided different aspects. Some some were just people who had worked on submarines. Uh, other countries provided actual technology. Um, it's, and it's not disclosed beyond what the U.S. did. What those technologies were. But the following countries were named, uh, South Korea, Japan, uh, obviously the U.S., um, U.K., and a few other ones I, I don't remember off the top of my head. So uh, let me ask you then, having multi- those multiple supplies of the different technology uh, for, for the components to build the submarine, is that an advantage or a disadvantage for Taiwan? Well, I think it was the only solution that they could pursue. Uh, so, it the the good thing is is that um, you know, if you're familiar with the U.S. defense companies, especially Lockheed Martin, uh, they're very good at integrating. Uh, a lot of the other companies in the U.S. are also very good. So, the the integration part is key to being able to do it. And Lockheed Martin would not have pursued it if they thought it was not going to work out. Um, I would also mention that that if you want to talk about comparison between um, Taiwan submarines and other country submarines, Taiwan submarines is is uh, almost equivalent to other diesel submarines in the world. Um, there are a few things that are different, and uh, some people suggest that it was because th- the first one that they produced maybe might be a, uh, more of a, in a test mode uh, and kind of working out some of the system issues. For example, um, the Taiwanese submarine doesn't have AIP, uh, which allows a submarine to stay underwater for a long period of time, several weeks. Uh, because it has to, uh, doesn't have AIP, um, it has to surface more often uh, to replenish, uh, replenish the, uh, the, 
the, the batteries in, in the submarine. So <clears throat> the future submarines, uh, uh, Taiwanese submarines, um, some analysts say that it will have lithium-ion batteries, which is what the Japanese have. The Japanese don't have AIP, but they're able to stay underwater longer because the lithium-ion batteries last longer. So that's, 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 that's one area that they're probably going to shift into. And it's possible that in the future they could also uh, incorporate AIP. So currently they have lead-acid batteries, is that correct? Right, right. Uh, so, um, or something less than the lithium-ion batteries. Uh, so, um, and, <clears throat> and so the size is about uh, between 2,500 and 3,000 tons. Um, it's, you know, it's a big, it's a big uh, submarine. It's, I mean, it's normal for the size of a diesel submarine. Um, and it would be equivalent to what the Japanese or um, other European countries have in terms of a, a diesel submarine. Now, I've been on a couple of, of diesel submarines when I was a younger younger man, and um, you know they're they're tight quarters uh, and they're a uh, uh, difficult life. But uh, you know that's the that's the life they chose. And when we say diesel, it means diesel electric, does it nowadays? Correct. So the the diesel is referring to the, how the batteries are charged. And when they charge them, they have to be uh, close enough to the surface so that the engine can recharge the battery. In other words, it needs to be um, have oxygen or air to 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 run the engines because you can't run the engines underwater uh, f uh, because that would cause a problem for the crew. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, that's the way they charge them. Now, even the AIP system, you still have to eventually surface and charge them as well um uh it's just it's the issue is the battery and uh um, the capacity of the battery right yeah. right so that's that's the issue on, on that part and then of course uh the taiwan submarine has two major weapons systems i don't know if you want to talk about that yeah, now sure. yeah, yeah okay so there's a. Um, uh, there's uh, there's a, the, the heavyweight torpedoes, the Mark, uh, I think, 48 torpedoes. They're built and designed by Raytheon, um, which uh, are the same um, torpedoes used by um, the U.S. Um, nuclear submarines, uh, the attack submarines. Um, not nuclear-armed, but nuclear-powered submarines. Uh, and um, so it's state-of-the-art torpedoes. Um, they also are, are going to be integrating a, a submarine-launched harpoon missile, which is an anti-ship missile that goes that is basically launched underwater, comes out of the water, and is and is like a missile, a cruise missile, basically uh, heading towards a ship. So it has two weapon systems to attack ships: the torpedoes and the harpoon. So uh, Taiwan in total are, are planning to build eight of these submarines. So with those kind of weapon systems, this must be quite an addition to Taiwan's defense capability. How significant is it? It's pretty significant because um, the underwater world is, is a difficult place to detect anything. Um, it's not like you can use radar uh, uh, underwater. Uh, underwater you have to use sonar so it's sound. Uh, you can do some uh, magnetic detection, but it's not very conducive uh, for detection. So the submarine can operate underwater and uh, with pretty much a good 
notion of it, that it won't be uh, detected, and therefore it can it can move around. And um, in the case of Taiwan, it could it can help reduce the risk associated with a blockade because of the ships that the the, the China might be using against Taiwan with the with the, the PLA Navy or the PLA Coast Guard if if Taiwan wants to, to help uh, stop the blockade and also during an invasion or after an invasion uh, the submarine can be used to stop ships from coming ashore to Taiwan. The other thing we hear sometimes about Taiwan is the advantage of it being right on the edge of the Pacific Shelf. In other words, if it wants to launch submarines into this deep water, it's, I guess, very stealthy. Uh, right. I presume that's another another aspect to this here. Yes, the east side of Taiwan um, faces the open Pacific, and the the let's say the ground drops rapidly. Uh, into uh, several thousands of feet of water. And so um, if Taiwan were to build submarine um, um, port that could service submarines, it would be extremely useful to be able to repair or replenish submarines on the east side of the island and then and then disappear into the ocean and it can uh, either go after... Um, PLA, let's say, carriers mm-hmm. that are out in the Pacific, or it can it can interdict ships trying to go out in the Pacific, either on the north side of, of Taiwan, uh, through the Miyaka uh, Straits, or in the south, uh, where the Bashi Channel is. Uh, it could prevent uh, ships from going out uh, from from China, uh, and also it can it could be in the east side, the west west side of Taiwan. Um, helping prevent, like I said before, a blockade or an invasion from China. You mentioned earlier that it's, you know, tight quarters in a submarine like that. Um, And uh, I suppose the existing fleet of submarines in Taiwan is is fairly small, as you mentioned, they're older vessels. Um, I'm just wondering, what are the practicalities of like training and crewing a fleet of eight submarines like that? Is that a challenging business? Well, the good news is, is that Taiwan has, has had a long tradition of submarines. Mm. And in fact, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with, with sort of the, um, the politics here in Taiwan, but the, one of the former defense ministers, Admiral Lee, or the chairman of the, sorry, the chairman of, the, of their, let's say their joint chiefs, their, the senior officer, military officer, was a submariner. So, so they, have, they have a long tradition of submarines, and they know how to crew the submarines, and they um, and they know how to train them. So I don't think that's really a challenge. I think the, the challenge might be is getting to know the new technology or the new system that they're going to have to operate in. Um, and by the way, the, the supposedly the timeline for these eight submarines is four are supposed to be done uh, by 2025 or some time around there, another four around 2027. So they're actually um, very... They're producing. They're going to be able to produce a lot of them in a short period of time, and eight isn't necessarily the end number, right? So that's the first set. Um, it doesn't mean they can't continue to build more, um, and also it doesn't mean that other countries in the region might be interested in buying them. So it's actually a very interesting dynamic um, that that could have an interesting uh, deterrent effect against the PLA. 
And I've also heard uh, talk about a midget submarine, yeah. this the Huelong. Um, yeah. How is that connected and what, what role does it play in this whole scheme? So there's two possible aspects of this. And by the way, that submarine is about 100 ton. So it's uh, quite significantly smaller. Um, it can fit people in it, but uh, some observers think that it's going to be an underwater unmanned vehicle. Uh, some people say it's going to be used for testing for the the um, the one of the, you know the eight submarines, like testing the the integration part. But I think that another potential for that system is is use the the indigenous submarine in conjunction with the smaller submarine uh, sort of like uh, the Air, the US Air Force has what they call the wingman program so you can imagine a submarine with a few of these smaller submarines attached to it as sort of augmenting its mission and it also can carry torpedoes so it actually can also be make the the one submarine much more lethal in terms of preventing as i mentioned before a blockade or invasion uh, we've seen also a lot of reports recently uh, where you know damage to gas pipelines, to telecom cables, and so on uh, are happening now in various places of the world. One of the more recent one of those was, I think, uh, a gas pipeline and telecom ca- cables between Estonia, Finland, and Sweden, uh, which are you know the, the Finnish authorities are suspecting a Hong Kong flagged container carrier called the Nunu Polar Bear as the prime suspect in damaging uh, the gas pipeline. Um, and, and the same ship is being suspected for the cable damage. I believe that the internet cables between Taiwan's outlying island of Matsu uh, back in February were, were cut by, they suspect, a Chinese cargo ship and, and fishing vessel. And in Ireland, we've had uh, ongoing concerns about uh, suspicious activity by Russian vessels in the vicinity of transatlantic cable paths. How effective are, are submarines, or even smaller submarines like the Huelong type of technology? Uh, it, how effective are they in the defense or monitoring of, of this type of critical infrastructure? I think it, it, it could uh, it could add um, it could add to this picture, but the problem is is that these these ships, so China and Russia and all and all the all the countries that are uh, let's say expansionist countries um, are using what what is used uh, the term is gray zone activity to uh, mask. Um, something that they did, but they don't want to um, announce that they intentionally did something like that. So what happens is you have a fishing trawler that that somewhere between Taiwan and Matsu, for example, uh, has its anchor dragging across the ocean floor, and eventually it's going to hit a cable. And they know where the cables are, so they they can they can put the anchor down on one side of the of the cable and then just um, um, drive their ship in a direction that bisects the cable and it's cut. In the case of Matsu, actually the, the Matsu cable was cut many times before and in response to that they put a second cable in. And unfortunately uh, uh, in February both, yeah. both cables were cut but not at the same time. One was cut once and then the other one was cut again. So it's forcing Taiwan to try to develop alternative means of communication besides the cable, such as microwave or satellite, uh, as a solution. Now, in, on the one hand, it's it's terrible that it happened, and of course China doesn't claim any responsibility, and it's plausible deniability and all that. 
Um, but on the other hand, I, th I look at it as more positive um, in the sense that it's forcing Taiwan to deal with the issue before wartime. So if they can find solutions to this before uh, uh, a war erupts, it might mitigate the cables being cut during wartime. So, um, yeah, it's bad. It took several months for Taiwan to even fix it because they had to hire a another uh, country's cable repair ship to do it. And so it made Taiwan realize that they don't have this capability to do it rapidly. Mm -hmm. And so they're also thinking about having their own ship to, to do it as well. So um, it's definitely a problem. And uh, I think any country, especially Ireland or Taiwan, that has lots of sea cables uh, attached to it and is a, a main hub of communication should realize that there might be some uh, bad actors out there uh, trying to disrupt, um, disrupt normal livelihood so yeah so don't wait till it happens i guess is the message prepare in advance yeah correct exactly and you know and, and that's a general theme that i i believe in is that china china's actions aggressive actions although they are unpleasant and um perhaps awakening uh i believe that the, their actions are actually helping the world understand the chinese threat and so therefore uh, countries are reacting. For example, Japan uh, is going to double its defense budget in the next five years. I mean, that's, that's a significant event. They haven't doubled their, their GDP. The GDP of of Taiwan, of, sorry, of Japan, uh, and their expenditure has been about one percent for the last forty years, and now suddenly they're doubling it. So it's it's actually uh, I'm I'm actually very glad that uh, uh, China is scaring. Uh, countries around the world because they're, they're beginning to understand what the threat is. I'm curious what you think of China's reaction to Taiwan's submarine because uh, Senior Colonel Wu Tian, a spokesman for uh, China's National Ministry of Defense, described Taiwan's submarine program as a broom attempting to hold back the tide. He called it. Uh, he called the effort idiotic nonsense. Uh, how valid do you think is their criticism, or could it be an attempt to disguise their maybe concern, especially given that they seem to be heavily investing in submarine technology themselves? Yeah, exactly. It's ironic. the The Chinese Navy, the, the Chinese Communist Party, uh, has a navy of around sixty submarines. Uh, I believe uh, uh, forty four of them, approximately, are diesel submarines, and six uh, are nuclear attack submarines, and six are ballistic missile submarines. Um, uh, maybe 48, sorry, 48 uh, diesel. So if it was such a useless activity, why do they have 60 submarines? Uh, so yeah, it's nonsense what they're saying. I think that they're also expressing frustration in that these submarines actually will cause some big headaches for them in terms of achieving their uh, their goal should, should Xi Jinping or whoever is in charge in China order the, the PLA to either blockade or, or um, attack Taiwan, um, having submarines is a nightmare uh, when, when they have to, in order to move ships, move uh, equipment and people to Taiwan, that they will be sunk uh, from underwater threat and they will be sunk from uh, missiles coming from uh, Taiwan 
this island and also from ships and also from airplanes. So there are a lot of missiles going to be pointed at their ships. And this is just an, another dimension that creates another headache for them. Yeah, they are. They have submarines. They have they have anti-submarine warfare capabilities. But um, ultimately, as I mentioned in the very beginning, the underwater world is not an easy place to operate, and you can't uh, detect all all the threats. I have seen some reports that say uh, that the PLA's anti-submarine warfare capability is a major area of weakness for China. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think it is a weakness. Uh, I, uh, one of the problems they have is they don't have uh, currently, I think they're building um, underwater detection system uh, that's permanent under, uh, underwater. Uh, the U.S., Japan, and several other countries around the world have a system that is, under, is at the bottom of the ocean, and it's designed to detect movement of submarines uh, and shipping. Uh, so... The idea being that the U.S., let's say, would want to know when those um, the SSBNs, the ballistic missile submarines that have nuclear weapons on them, uh, are moving from the ports in in China out to the into the Pacific because that puts them in a, a position to strike the United States. So knowing where those submarines are uh, is important because in order to prevent them from launching, uh, the U.S. could strike them before they launch. So. Um, um, so they're, I guess they're building what they call the Great uh, Underwater Wall. Uh, that's, the, that's, that's the system which is supposed to be an underwater system that detects submarines. Uh, but I believe uh, most analysts uh, in this area say that they're several decades behind um, the rest of the world. Uh, but, you know, they could catch up. So uh, things might change. But for now, the submarines that Taiwan's building uh, are stealthy. And, uh, in fact... They're the ultimate asymmetric weapon. Uh, it's interesting to note that in World War One, the first term of asymmetric warfare was used in reference to submarines. And I think uh, maybe the other thing with uh, using some shared technology is that other countries that have submarines that may have similar technology, it allows for more seamless communication if there's a, a group country or an allied response right. to, to any uh, escalation, right? Right. If you look at the example of the, the, the Germans during World War II, they had the wolf packs in the Atlantic. And uh, those, those submarines caused havoc to shipping from the United States and Canada to uh, the U.K., during World War II. So in the same sense, a wolf packs with Taiwanese submarines, Japanese submarines, South Korean submarines, U.S. submarines, now potentially UK, um, Australian submarines, uh, and other submarines in the area uh, can, can be a combined operation to prevent the PLA Navy from either leaving, in, uh, leaving the coast of China into the uh, Pacific or also preventing those submarines from interfering with, uh, let's say, resupply by allies of Taiwan. Now, the submarine also can be used for other missions besides attacking other ships. It can be used to also collect intelligence of what's going on by adversary uh, navies. It can also be used to insert uh, special forces into another country or, or ex exfiltrate people from uh, uh, other countries. So it has other uses besides this uh, uh, attack mission. Um, and also just the presence of a submarine can send a message. For example, the U.S. recently um, had a, 
uh, one of our uh, SSBNs, the ballistic missile submarines, dock in South Korea, sending a clear message to the North Koreans that that the U.S. is standing behind South Korea. Uh, so I envision, in an ideal world, I would envision that the Taiwanese government would build uh, submarine uh, um, bases on the east side of Taiwan that could provide supplies not only for their own indigenous submarines, but for allied submarines. And every once in a while, perhaps an American SSBN would show up to remind China, you know, the U.S. is supporting Taiwan. The impact of China's uh, boycott or, or pressure from other governments to uh, not supply Taiwan with weapon systems has been effective for the last, let's say, 20 years, where other countries have basically not supplied new weapon systems. But I would like to point out that the French continue to support their, their frigates that they sold to Taiwan and the Mirage 2000s that they sold to Taiwan. Um, and um, Netherlands has also been supporting the, the, the submarines that they sold earlier. So each country is continuing, but the new weapon systems, the United States is the lead. That's Germant Lailery, a retired U.S. Air Force Foreign Area Officer, speaking with me recently at National Chungchi University in Taiwan, where he's a visiting scholar. My sincere thanks to Germant for sharing his valuable insights and taking the time to talk with us on Perspectives with Nilo. While Communist China has never occupied or ruled Taiwan, they claim it as their territory and continually execute grey warfare against the island, while also attempting to block the sale of defence technology and weapons from other countries by way of their authoritarian economic statecraft. And while the Irish government feared the repercussions from China for selling components to Taiwan in the 1990s, many experts and analysts agree that in recent years China has become even more aggressive abroad. You can dive deeper into this and the related topics by checking out our blog site at pwnilo.com and by listening to past episodes, which you can find by searching for Perspectives with Nilo on your favorite podcast app. It's also interesting to note that although Ireland has no history in the construction of submarines, a Clareborn engineer, John Philip Holland, is regarded as one of the several individuals credited with inventing the underwater vessel. And that's where we leave it for now. Until the next time, thank you for listening. Slánach Spanacht.